hearts, this is different. I know uh, several months ago when Josh and I would come down here when the uh, pandemic first came to uh, be well known and become a part of our, our society and our culture of the time, and we we disbanded uh, attendance service for a time, and Josh and I would meet here on Sunday mornings, and we would we would uh, meet in the library, and we would conduct a, a service there. Uh, it was it was unique and different for for me, and I think for us, and I appreciate Josh uh, taking care of that. We've gotten used to running live streams on a regular basis now. Maybe that's a, a very positive thing that's come out of some of this. This uh, pandemic has been, we've communicated in ways that we have not as regularly done in the past. Not that we couldn't do it, and many places were doing that, but even more and more of us are putting messages out there. Hopefully people are picking up on them and, and noting them. And, and I know members of the congregation here are, and I've had one or two in other places tell me they were going to be on with us today, and I, I appreciate that. And I'm glad that we were able to provide that to you. And so to the lesson that I'm thinking about this morning, I call this lesson, Rock of Ages Cleft for Me. Um, not a new thought by any means, but it, it's something kind of interesting. And I was just thinking, here we are in the midst of a, a uh, extreme polar cold wave, and, and that's hard. There, there's snow coming, we're expecting in our area. Uh, other areas not nearly so much, but in our area expecting somewhere near a foot or so of snow in the, within the next day and then maybe some more later in the week. But uh, uh, dealing with that, then there have been so many, there have been turbulences in the political world, there have been problems in the racial tensions that have been there, there have been, there of course is the pandemic and, and the weather, all of these things kind of adding in with the problems that it brings into a society and we're just wondering where can I go, what can I do, uh, and we're worried that we're just going to lose everything we've got. Well, I came across, across a quote some time ago that a, a fellow was asked, and it said, uh, they asked him, uh, why are you so afraid, the man seemed to be. And the man who was 75 years of age at that time uh, was, was asked that question. And he said, I'm afraid I will be left, in, I will be left poverty stricken in my old age. In other words, he felt like there were so many things outside of his control that he would not be able to take care of business in the way that he would have thought would be the best, and he would be left without anything, that the culture, that the, the, the economy or something like that would, would change so much that he would not have the things that he needed as he got into his senior years. And here he is, 75, and he's wondering about the years that are yet ahead. And I think that is uh, probably a common worry among many. Well, I want us then to turn to an old story, a story in the ministry of Jesus, perhaps early in the ministry of Jesus. And as we turn to that story, we think about we're not the only ones who have faced challenges and, and faced hard times. In fact, I was thinking uh, in the last few days, in my daily Bible reading, I've been reading in the book of Job, and I think about the things that Job was going through, and I think, boy, mine seem pretty small when you compare what Job was going through in his life and the great losses that he was, he was dealing with and the heartache, the problems that he had, physical problems, and then those, those companions that came and just seemed like kept pointing out that the problem was his, the problem was his and upon him. And so 
I think about that, and yet even small challenges and small problems can be something that really causes us to quake a bit in fear. So let's look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23 and following where Jesus and his disciples are making a voyage. And in that voyage, they run into some problems. Let's read the passage there beginning in verse 23 through verse 27. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Perhaps you can see why I would call this Rock of Ages, Cliff, for me, as they turn to Jesus in that, in that situation. The old song that we don't sing nearly as much anymore, but that old song says, Rock of Ages, Cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And, of course, you read on to the lyrics of the, of the song and you recognize it's talking about your life and the, the struggles of life and sin and other things in our lives. But I think the, real, the realities of insecurity are common to us. We recognize them from the time we're little children. We, we struggle with certain things, maybe being afraid of the dark. And as we get older, of the challenges that we face. And if you're, you're a father or a dad or even a grandfather, the challenges of dealing with family and confronting and worrying about. And, and I use the term worry very carefully. Uh, worrying about or concerned about family and the struggles that are there. But, you know, we, we deal with that. And, and partly how we deal with those kind of struggles in our lives is we buy insurance and we, we uh, try, try to prepare for everything that we can. But it does seem kind of interesting to me, though, that we buy life insurance, not to insure our own lives, but to financially manage death so that those behind us will have something. But that's probably one of our greater concerns in a way. But even though I look at things and what's going on around us and what we're, we're dealing with, I'm not, I don't want to be like Chicken Little running around crying that the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I do believe that we should not take our effort to secure a, a society, a, a, ourselves and our, our society and our safety as importantly as we possibly can. In other words, we need to take action in that. It's not a, a matter of just sitting back and letting go and letting God, as some of the old bumper stickers used to say. We can't just say, okay, God, it's in your hands. Whatever you do with it, I'm okay. And just sit back here and wait. You know, it's kind of like sitting down, waiting for death. I kind of get that picture of Paul and Silas in that, in that jail in, in Philippi, sitting down there in their stocks and bonds and so forth, and there not knowing what's going to happen in the coming days. They may be put to death. They don't know for sure. But what'd they do? They sat down there and sang songs and probably shared some messages with the other prisoners that were there with them. They took what action they could in their, on that occasion. And I'm often reminded that, to remember that David, when he faced the giant, did so in the name of the Lord, but he took his sling with him. And in fact, 
He didn't just take one stone. That was all it took to bring down the giant. You'd think, well, if I trust in the Lord, all I need is one stone. No, he had five stones. Because in part, David was relying on his own skill with the sling. I have no doubt that David could sling that stone and strike his target at just about any time that he needed to. And on this occasion, he caught that giant unaware and he slung that stone and in it went. You say the hand of providence was there? I believe it was. But David used every bit of knowledge and skill that he had. Remember he had told King Saul just shortly before that. I faced lions and bears as they tried to steal from my flock. And I've taken them down and this guy will be just like one of those. David used his skill, used his ability. But probably the problem arises when we think that we have control of all the circumstances. That's when we begin to lose sight of what real security is. Jesus warned us not to place our treasure in corruptible conditions, even our own hands. Those of you that are getting a few years on you, I don't want to pick on you because I'm not getting any older. But those of you who are getting older, you may recognize that some of your physical skills are not what they were in days past. I know we guys, we like to think that we've got the same skills and the same abilities that we had 20, 30, 40 years ago. Not so. Not so. We recognize that things change even physically for us. And so they change around us as well. And to place our our securities, our treasures, and corruptible things around us. And that's what Jesus warns about in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal and so forth. And corruption comes into it. The only real security that we will ever have, the only real security that we will ever have is what cannot be taken from us. Talking to a lady whose family had real troubles after a, a death of a, uh, of a mother, I believe it was, and talking to them, and she was so upset about the situation with her family and felt like they had just taken away every joy and everything in that life. I said, no, they cannot take away from you the relationship you had with your mother and the way you felt. So, friends, how do we manage our lives in an insecure world? How do we move without constant fear? And without worrying that we're going to lose at every turn. Where can we find the security that makes living an enjoyable, makes it a valuable experience for us? Well, I go back to the song. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. So what I want to tell you is that security in the midst of life's storm can be found. It can be found. If we look at what's going on with Jesus and with his disciples, we find that Jesus has answers. Go throughout much of that 8th chapter of Matthew and into the ninth chapter of Matthew as he deals with people and their situations in life. There were people who were dealing with struggles, with illness, with problems, with family members and so forth. They were dealing with oppression of different kinds. And security is found in the midst of life storms, at the feet of Jesus. Think about the people who came to Jesus. Think about what was going on in their lives, whether it was a person with leprosy or blindness or, or other illness or somebody who is just down and out and dealing with real, the real complications of life and the oppression maybe even of the Roman government. 
Many who came in contact with Jesus were in a storm in life. Some of them had to be helped to be with Jesus and in front of Jesus at times. There were those who, had, who came to Jesus not because they were quite in the midst of a storm that we might think of as a storm, but they had a, a perplexing question in mind. They wondered. They had higher motives. They were looking to find someone or something. I think about Nathaniel in John chapter 1, who was brought by his friend. As he's brought by his friend Philip, he was brought to see Jesus. You remember before he came, he posed the question when he was told, well, I think we, we found the one that was told, <laughs> Moses and the prophets foretold him. We think we found this guy, the Christ, the prophet, the one. We found him. You remember Nathaniel's response? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet, and yet he went. And yet he went and sought Jesus. I think he truly was looking. He was hoping to find what someone was saying. Even if he had doubts, he was looking to find what he could find in Jesus. Many came to Jesus because they were seeking. As I said, they came to Jesus because of what they were facing, what the quandaries they had in life, whether it was the oppression of life itself or the oppression of, of the Roman government or the, the Jewish leaders at the time who were putting down so many people to, to lift themselves up in their own minds. Or maybe, as, as I said, so many of those who were dealing with illness. Remember the man by the pool of Bethesda? He wasn't even really seeking Jesus, but he came in contact with him. Or the woman who had, they call it an issue of blood, she had the bleeding problem and she, she came to Jesus just to at least touch the hem of his garment or, Bar, or, or, or Bartimaeus, uh, the fellow who was blind by the road and calls out to him and there were so many who came to him, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. Even the ten lepers, when only one returned to thank him, they came because there was illness, there was struggle in their lives and being brought to Jesus, they found the security, the hope that they needed. I've often thought about Jairus as he came to Jesus and thinking about his own daughter driven by somebody else's need, somebody dear to you. Some came to Jesus because they knew they were far from God. They knew the sin that was in their lives. Remember Simon Peter in the boat? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And yet, when he got out of the boat, he was still with Jesus. I know people meet him in the ordinary circumstances in the courses of life and just maybe a certain amount of wonder, a certain amount of uh, inquiry to see what is there, what to be known. I think about, again, Nicodemus coming, John 3 to him, came to him at night and said, you know, we know that you're somebody. We know that you have something of God or you couldn't do what you're doing. And in the ordinary course of events and society and news and wonder and media and everything else, some are pointed to Jesus. And we find people like that today and maybe we are among some of those. And when we're looking for answers, people come. They come knocking on the doors of church buildings because they have a need. They've not been able to answer. They need food to eat, a place to stay, a, someone to listen to what they have to say. People come looking for something, and to them, Jesus is truly an anchor. 
He is the anchor, the real anchor. I know there are some kinds of anchors in life, and they're intended only maybe to drag things along, slow them down, and, and sometimes in our own hands we are able to slow or push aside some things for a while, but we need to remember Jesus is an anchor. We're not just those anchors like they, they threw out in Acts 27 to slow the ship's progress. Jesus is the anchor of constancy. There is only one place to find that kind of constancy. Only one place that is always, always what he is. That's why the writer of Hebrews would say what he said, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Jesus Christ. And so there is a place to go in time of storms. But how? And how does he do that? How does Jesus deal with this how does how can he be that because we see christians and, and we may be among them when we say but we still have problems how does he shelter in the storm well the question is did he really promise you a rose garden i think about what he said to his closest disciples they're going to abuse you they're going to throw you in prison they're going to think they've done god a great service it is misguided to think that we will have no troubles in our lives the Apostle Paul dealt with troubles within and troubles without, worries and so forth, and conflicts that he was having within and without. It's misguided to think that we would not have any troubles. Paul recounts some of the things that went on in his life, and I guess there was no man that ever served the Lord more once converted than Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, really did. He warned his disciples, Jesus did, of difficulties to come, John 16, as I said. But if we're not going to turn to him because there are going to still be troubles, where are we going to go? Elijah was a dedicated man of God and preached and taught one of the outstanding people of the Old Testament, the outstanding prophets of old, and yet when threatened with death by Jezebel in 1 in, uh, uh, Kings 19, not Exodus 19, 1 Kings 19, it says he ran in fear. He ran away in fear. Sometimes we do when storms come by. Sometimes we just try to deny the problems even there. Isn't, isn't that what uh, Saul, King Saul did? He just tried to deny the problem was, was there, but Samuel says, no, there is a problem. And his successor, David, did the same thing. Look at chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel. In the sin with Bathsheba and then trying to cover it up and pretend it didn't exist. But you read those chapters and find out the Lord knew that it was there. We can't just push our problems away. We can't just run in fear. We can't even cast blame, especially toward God like Adam did. Lord, it's that woman that you gave me. Don't say that on Valentine's Day, okay? But can't cast blame and can't cast it towards God. Not in that way. Sometimes we just seek the best means to deal with the situation and let it go at that. What we need to remember is when we're dealing with things, and even as Christians we're facing troubles and trials, the troubles are, are not a relational thing. By that I, I mean you can't balance them against something else in someone else's life. I say, well, why doesn't he have the trouble? Or why doesn't she have the trouble? Why am I having the trouble? Or I'm a better person than that person, so I shouldn't have that problem in life. Sometimes we try to relieve ourselves by noting those in another person and make us feel better about ourselves. But that's not the way it works, because just like dirty dishes, those problems don't go away just because we pretend that they're not there or cast them on somebody else. What we need to do is learn from them. But to go further, to answer the question how he shelters in, 
from the storm, it's not a matter of just removing everything. What he does is he offers to make troubles something we can bear. He offers to make them something we can bear in life. How does he do that? Let me give you, let me give you five quick thoughts in that, and they will be quick. He helps them bear those troubles because he has the words of life. When others had walked away and struggled, Jesus turns to his disciples, will you also go away? And you've got to love, as I've said so many times, you've got to love Simon Peter. When he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. He has the words of life. He has something that transcends the difficulty. He has the opportunity for the present and for the future. For Peter goes on to say, and we've come to believe that you are the Christ. Secondly, he continues to have fellowship with us. He doesn't just leave us, just say, here's the answer, now go and deal with it. That's not it. We're not alone in our struggles. And lo, I am with you always. We've joked about that line sometimes, so don't fly in an airplane, but that's not what he was saying. He says, just be aware, I am with you always, Matthew 28 and verse 20. He knows us. He's close to us. He has fellowship with us. He knows what we're going through. Read Hebrews 4, 14, 16. That great high priest was in all points tempted like as we are. He knows us firsthand. He has fellowship with us all the way down the line. Thirdly, he challenges us. He motivates us. He challenges our attitudes and our actions. He's not a coddling Savior. He doesn't just pat us on the back and say, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. That may be all right to a child in the night who's crying out in fear of the dark or of monsters that hide beneath the bed. But he is not a coddling Savior. He makes us seek and look for the answer. Seek, he says, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. It is an effort on our part. He says, you need to, you need to respond. You need to take action in your life. And he challenges our attitudes and our actions in this take hold don't just sit back and and wait for something take hold use what I've given to you and use it to the very best fourthly he places confidence in us he places confidence in what we do seeing us they can see him Paul was a Galatians 2 and verse 20 in that familiar verse been crucified with Christ nevertheless I live Yet not I, it's Christ who lives in me. You see, people seeing us envision him. That's why we need to be motivated. That's why when we're looking for dealing with troubles and we're relying on him, people can see in us the security that we hold in him. And he places that confidence because he has it and places it in us. And that's what I say even further in the last one. He has the calm in him. He has the calm in him. I think providence is often seen best or just best seen in retrospect. When those disciples awakened him in the boat, as the text we read this morning, they were crying out to him for help. They wanted saving. Water is washing in over the boat. And you know, no matter what ship you're on, if water is washing in over the decks of the boat and coming down in, you know we can't stay afloat long if this thing fills with water. The disciples didn't know what would happen. They didn't know what he would do. They did not know that he would calm the storm. But as he arose, noticed their lack of faith and commented on it. 
Then he calmed the storm. And those there, those there right then said, what kind of man can this be that even the storms, even the winds and the waves obey him? He has the calm in the storm if we're willing to lean upon him. So to wrap it up and just say this, they underestimated Jesus. They did all along the way. Even his closest disciples sometimes underestimated him. And as they looked at Jesus when he was hanging on that cross, dying and uttering some of his last words, they continued to underestimate him. How sad it would be if we dismissed and underestimated him thinking that he does not have the answers and the opportunities for us. How sad it would be if we dismissed the safety that he offers to us. Maybe we need to remember again the old-fashioned song. Maybe we need to remember again to sing the words even to ourselves. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. So friends, whether it's some present difficulty or some of which we have not even yet imagined, we need to know that he is the cleft, the cleft in the rock for us. And if we want safety, he's the place we'll find it. We can safely hide in him. I want to thank you for listening this morning and being a part of this as we share this time of worship. I pray that the message is one that's encouraging in a kind of a difficult time right now. And I hope that we remember and hold on to the fact that Jesus is our safety and security no matter where we are. So today, be safe. Stay warm if you can. We'll look forward to days that are a little bit easier to be out and about. I want to thank you for listening today. Thank these for being here this morning as we as we conclude our time together, let's do so with a prayer, and we'll look forward to the opportunity to be together again very soon. Remember, we've got daily devotions Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. We'll try to continue those, and we'll see about what happens on Wednesday, whether we have Wednesday Bible study, Wednesday evening. But let's look forward to the next time we can be together and share, uh, share the message of the gospel and invest it into our own lives. Let's bow for that prayer. If we